time for us to uh, go ahead and get started tonight, if we can, please. I think our number may be a little bit off tonight, and maybe that's due to the uh, weather that's headed our way, but we are indeed grateful that you're here tonight, and uh, we have uh, guests who have honored us with their presence tonight, and we want all of you who are visiting with us to know uh, it's a great joy to have you with us, and we want you to come back and be with us any time that you can. Uh, we will worship on Sunday morning at 930, and our classes on Sunday evening at 5, and we would love for you to come and be a part of that. Uh, just have a few announcements to make uh, before we uh, get started tonight. Uh, please remember to uh, pick up one of the bulletins. It has an update on the sick. But I do want to mention specifically Bobby Cole. Uh, his eye surgery is going to take place tomorrow, and uh, it's very serious surgery. And uh, we want to remember him in our prayers as he has that procedure tomorrow. Of course, Brother Ken should be home sometime tomorrow, Lord willing, from his trip to Saipan. And of course, Dee Whirly needs her prayers as she's on a mission trip uh, to Costa Rica. But let's do remember all those that are sick in our prayers. I hope you'll look at the bulletin, uh, look at those that are listed there. Let's do what we can to encourage somebody else. It would be amazing if everybody would encourage one person every day. It would make a world of difference. Other activities that are going on this Sunday, the Bible Bowl will not meet. Also, uh, next Wednesday, January the 25th, uh, all guys and gals who plan to participate in speech are asked to meet. So please remember that. Also, uh, convention fees for Lads to Leaders are due now and need to be paid to the church office by February the 19th. So uh, you can look at the bulletin there for more information. Our Golden Circle group will be having their breakfast uh, on January 23rd, this coming Monday at the pit stop. We'll leave at 8.30. Of course, uh, Sunday night at five is going to be a very special time for us here at Boonville as we're going to be hosting the area-wide. There'll be churches represented from all over North Mississippi and it's our home, home court, so to speak. And so we need to be here ourselves, make sure we're here to welcome those to our home here at, here at Boonville. And uh, Stephen Hodgen is going to be our speaker that evening. And those of you who are going to bring food, please don't forget that. If you need to uh, find out if you can help in some way, uh, you can contact uh, Jordan about that. Also, there's a wedding that's going to be taking place, the wedding of Molly Faith uh, and Kayla Drew Moody. Uh, this will be the 21st of January, this coming Saturday, 4 o'clock in the afternoon at Parks Place on uh, County Road 512-418 in Corinth. And uh, you're invited to that wedding, and they request, though, if you're going to go to RSVP. Also, ladies, you are invited to a baby girl shower uh, in honor of Annie, uh, Caitlin Bruce, Katie and Drew. That'll be this Sunday, uh, January 22nd from 1.30 until 3 in the TACT. Also, I want to remind SALT Team 4 that you are scheduled to go out and eat together at uh, Catfish uh, Country following our morning service this, this coming Sunday. So make your plans to do that. 
Uh, I believe that's all the announcements that I have at this time. Let's now enter our devotional. Good evening. If you would turn your books, song books, to number 853. Number 853, we'll use this page as both the song before the devotional message and the invitation song. When we all get to heaven and then afterwards when he comes in glory by and by. Sing the first verse only. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19, we find a very interesting concept. Paul there, in writing to the Thessalonian brethren, encouraged them and exhorted them not to quench the Spirit. Now, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to say that a Christian can quench the Spirit? Well, the word quench is used in the sense of extinguishing a fire or a light, uh, just as maybe water, dirt, or other things can extinguish a flame, so the influence of God's Holy Spirit can be smothered or put out in our lives by things such as laziness or indifference or worldliness or materialism, or perhaps it's evil companions. It could be false teachings. And so Christians have a choice. We can allow the spirit to be quenched in our lives or not quenched. How do we keep from quenching the spirit? Well, the Bible teaches us to resist the devil, James 4 and verse 7. The Bible emphasizes how we need to be faithful unto death, Revelation 2 and verse 10. Galatians 6 and verse 9 admonishes us not to grow weary in well-doing. James 1 verse 27 talks about how we are to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. And Paul in Romans 12 and verse 2 admonishes us not to be conformed to this world. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 5 and verse 14 that we need to exercise our senses to discern good and evil. And certainly as we increase in our knowledge of God's word, that flame is going to grow stronger and stronger. However, if we begin to drift away from that which the Holy Spirit has revealed through the word of God, we're going to subtly and gradually extinguish that flame, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. And so drifting away from God, drifting away from his word, that's how we today as Christians can quench the spirit. 
And so let's make it our desire and our goal to never quench, to never suppress or extinguish or dampen the influence of God's word in our words or our thoughts or our deeds. But let's be growing stronger every day in grace and in knowledge. What about you tonight as you examine your life? Is it possible that maybe you're in the process of quenching the spirit? Are you trying to be better every single day? Are you serving faithfully in the Lord's kingdom? It may be tonight that your light of God's word, the light of the spirit has never even been lit yet because you're outside of Christ. And tonight that can change if you're willing to demonstrate your faith in Jesus as the son of God by repenting of your sins. And you can tonight be baptized into Christ based upon the confession of your faith in him. The Lord will add you to his church and you can begin your walk as a child of God. And so tonight, if we can help you in any way, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. Oh, how sweet to be to meet the Lord when he comes in glory. Father in heaven above, Lord, thank you for letting us come here and have another night to worship you, Lord, and grow closer to you in spirit and truth, Lord, and just thank you for all the many blessings you give us and everything you do for us, and just please be with all the prayer requests on our list, Lord, and all those that need you right now, and those who have lost loved ones, and please be with them and comfort them in the way only you can, and just thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for the mission of our sins. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Let's keep it out. Let's sing the second verse of that song. Since we're already pulled out to it, and Doug just said that we have 128 out in the college class. So, as the teachers make their ways, listen. I am longing for
Good afternoon. I am so glad to be able to be here with you. Appreciate very much your presence on this Wednesday evening. We have um, one more Wednesday evening in uh, this quarter as far as the adult classes are concerned. Just to make sure that we're all on the same page, the um, sixth grade, well, the, seventh, the high school and down, they start the new quarter on the first Sunday in February, and that has to do with the material that they use, um, especially sixth grade and down. And then, um, so the next Wednesday, or two Wednesdays from the night, the first will be still in the old quarter for them, a review. But the adult classes will just simply start uh, with the advent of uh, February. So next Wednesday, I keep saying next, there's two more. So Brother Ken will be back to finish uh, this quarter, and then he will teach the distinctive nature of the New Testament church uh, in um, the side of the tack where they meet beginning the, uh, February 1st. And then Brother Adam Carlson will be in here um, in the, the book of Romans uh, beginning the 1st of February. And the uh, leadership class will continue as a combined class uh, on Sunday night. And here we made that decision because uh, there is a lot yet to be covered. And uh, because of the discussion and uh, how good that was, he needed uh, more time. So he and I talked about that. And that will continue for another quarter, which is, I think that, that works out perfectly all the way around. Tonight, as we continue our discussion first, let's talk for a second about um, if there's anyone, I don't know about you, but uh, uh, it's a little, uh, it's a little creepy in this building uh, when the wind's blowing like that. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be okay though. If you think it's creepy sitting in here with all of you, you ought to be in here when there's nobody in this building uh, and it's doing that. Uh, it, it, but it'll be okay, I promise. Uh, and if it's not, uh, my mother would always say, I'm not real sure. I think she thought it made us feel better. She said, we're going to go to church. If we get blown away, we can't be in a better place. I said, well, I agree with that, but still, can't you put it a different way? Uh, but uh, it'll be fine. Tonight, um, we were asked to put Carrie Riddle, um, who is having kidney uh, problems, uh, severe problems on our prayer list. Are there any others that come to mind uh, as we, of course, we're going to continue to remember Sister D, who is in Costa Rica, um, and Carrie Riddle, who is suffering from uh, kidney failure. Um, whom else as we start? Now, I'm, as I told you before, I'm never as good as extensive as Brother Ken is. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for telling me that. Uh, anyone else? 
Yes, ma'am. Yes. That is an unexpected improvement. Yes. Oh, she, yes. yes. Right. I know they appreciate your, your prayers and covet your continued prayers. Bow with me, please. Father God, we are so mindful of your goodness and your grace. And as we watch the clouds roll in this afternoon and listen to the strength of the wind that, that blows and creaks the rafters of our building, we are reminded of the majesty of your nature and not just its power, but we know that those things do what they do through your design. Your design is flawless. Your design is powerful. And Father, not only did you design the the rain when it comes and the sun when it shines and the wind when it blows, storms as well as uh, blows in fair weather. You designed us. You designed our souls. And though, Father, we live in a, a, a tabernacle, a tent that is frail in this fleshly body that came about through the consequence of sin, we know that we will someday put that aside and be able to live in eternity with a new body, a spiritual body, if we are born through your son, Jesus, through his blood. Father, as we think about the power of your uh, creation and the mercy and grace that you offer, we ask that you be with those that we mentioned tonight, those who were mentioned, those who are on people's hearts. We're thankful for their improvement we're mindful of their struggles. We pray that you will bless those who are caring for them as you bless them and their families in accordance to your holy will and as only you can. Those who uh, need improvement, those who are facing surgeries, those who are continuing to face long roads of recovery. We pray your blessings on them. Father, I pray that you'll be with Dee as she is in Costa Rica doing her best to serve you in the mission field. And Brother Ken, as he uh, will soon be returning from uh, another mission effort, thank you for their willingness. And I pray that much good would be done through those efforts. And as we study tonight, may we do so with open hearts and willing minds and ready hands to do the things that you'd have us do, the things that we learn. In your son's name we pray, amen. If you have your copy of God's word with you, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 
First Peter chapter two, verses nine through 12. And we read that, I think, last week, but I want us to read it again tonight as we uh, move further into some thoughts that we had begun regarding the distinctive nature of the New Testament church. The church that Jesus built, Matthew 16, 18, he promised that he'd build it. In Acts 2, we learn that it came into existence. We read about its early history. And we understand that that was a part of God's plan. That distinctive nature. Okay. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Do you mind reading? You going to read for me tonight? But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dear, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So we read that last week. So as we return to it to kind of review and refocus just a little bit, we come to a very clear and ready understanding that the church, God's people, makes me think of uh, Acts 2.47, that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So therefore, the church, according to what we just read, is a, uh, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people, God's chosen people, a people chosen for God's purpose. And then when I look at verse 12, that when those on the outside, look, our conduct should be that when people on the outside look toward us, whether they're looking toward us out of curiosity, whether they're looking toward us out of uh, uh, some detracting, with, with some detraction in mind, they're looking at us with a criticism, what they're going to see is our good conduct. But not just our good conduct, uh, but our good... If anybody sees uh, Sky behind me, please let me know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, if it, when they look at us, they see our good conduct, but our good conduct is based on uh, who we are as a chosen generation, a, royal, a, a holy nation, his own special people that proclaim his praises. Colossians 1.13, he called us out of his marvelous, uh, sorry, he called us out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Oh, wait a minute. Now that makes me think of that verse, verse nine, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's talking about the church. That's talking about being in the kingdom. So if we are in the kingdom, then we are his people. And if we are his people, then the world will see by the conduct that, by our conduct, who we are. So therefore the church of the New Testament has a distinctive identity. Okay. Real quick, one more, a little bit of review, I guess. What is a distinctive identity? Now, wait a minute. Let me, let me preface. Not, 
Think out, not talking about this lesson necessarily. I'm not asking you what do I mean uh, regarding the church. I mean a general question. How would you answer if somebody said to you, they're not talking about the church or we're not talking about a Bible lesson. They just said, okay, I heard that they were studying the distinctive identity of the New Testament. What does distinctive identity even mean anyway? What's that term mean? Something that sets you apart from other people. So if, you, if something sets you apart from other people, then you are easily recognized. Recognized for who you are and what you are, what you do, why you do it, all those things. Okay, that's a good answer. Anybody want to add to that? A distinctive. Yeah. Uh, recognizable. Peculiar in the sense, you know, it's all we've often used that word peculiar in some uh, most of the time we, we, we give it some negative or, or, or less than. But it literally means recognizable. Uh, if somebody says he's got peculiar ways, their meaning you can recognize they're different. They're different from what we consider to be everybody else's. OK, I get that. So therefore, a distinctive nature means you can easily recognize those who are God's people. That should be true of those looking in. They may not understand. They may not under, uh, really get their reasonings, but they know we're different. They know we're different because. But let's not talk about the world for a second. Let's talk about ourselves. Should we be able to recognize the distinctive identity of the New Testament church in our own selves, in our own personalities, in our own worship, in our own yes or no? Yes. In other words, we should be able to tell who we are or to tell if we are not who we are. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Because there is a, because the term, since, since you said that, uh, Martha, the term sometimes Christian is used very blanketly, very, you know, um, loosely. Uh, but when in fact, and I'm, I'm glad you said what you did because that really heads us in the right direction. The church that Jesus built, let's say it that way. And when I say the church that Jesus built, I mean the New Testament church, the one described in here. And that means God's people. Didn't we just read that? It's God's people. Christians, so those are all synonymous terms. The church that Jesus built, the New Testament church, God's people, Christians, all the same thing have a distinctive identity. Now let's look at some things. They have a distinctive, a distinctive identity in the name that they wear. In the name that they wear. Turn to, let's go to Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Now this one we'll look at very quick, quickly and then... Um, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, when you read that verse, the word name, okay, uh, there is no other name given among men, 
whereby you must be saved, uh, whereby uh, the man, uh, read that again. I, I got Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none yeah. other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name. Now, that's re referencing the authority of Christ. That's referencing the gospel of Christ. That's referencing the sacrifice of Christ, the lordship of Christ, all of those the, and the salvation in Christ. There is no other name given among men by which you none. No salvation in any other name. Okay, now Acts 11 and verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him into Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, I will tell you that uh, I can remember preaching a lesson using this verse. It was in Jacksonville, Alabama. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to go back there to correct myself, that I used this verse incorrectly. Um, not wrongly, per se, I didn't teach error with it, but I didn't use it properly. And uh, I realized that now someone made a comment that I never considered before, and I did some research. And I, was, I studied it some more, and I learned some more. Here's what I said with the verse. Now, it makes sense. It makes really good sense. It's just not right. Uh, in Acts 11:26, the disciples were called Christians. Now, Matthew 28 and verse 18, 19, and 20, Jesus said, Go, teach all nations, or make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I've commanded you, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, he said make disciples. The disciples were followers, followers of Christ, followers of of uh, the truth that's found in Christ. Absolutely, right? And those disciples were called Christians. That's why we use that word, Christian. So who's a Christian? A disciple of Christ. But okay, I made the statement that, you see, there were people in the city of Antioch who were watching the way these people behaved. And they called them Christians because they recognized they were followers of Christ. Now, that sounds really cool, but that's really not what that verse is saying. Because the word, and y'all know I, I'm all, I love words, I'm all about words. The word called, that Greek word called, the disciples were called Christians. That Greek word is unique, meaning that when it's used, it was always used when a, of a royal decree, of an authoritative decree. So in other words, the bystanders, the world, didn't just simply say, oh, they're preaching about this guy named Jesus and they're doing his teaching, so we'll call them Christians. When in fact, it was God who called the disciples Christians. That was God's term. And when, I, when, I let, when that sunk in, Man, that made so much more of an impact that it was God's design that those who followed his son, those who were added to the church, 
be distinctive in that they were followers of no one but Christ. They were Christians. And so we best be very careful uh, to not use the word Christian just simply to, uh, well, we're going to talk about being Christian as opposed to being a Muslim or a Buddhist or a this or that. Folks, the word Christian is a royal decree. And it is a sign to those. Yes, ma'am. Well, it goes back to what we were, um, it, well, it's what we're talking about tonight is that, first of all, that's why I wanted us to start with the name is that that name is used, that word, excuse me, is used very loosely uh, when in fact we should not use it loosely. We should Think about if we consider ourselves Christians, then therefore we should look at ourselves and say, do we, do we um, exhibit, do we possess, do we display, do we demonstrate the unique characteristics for which that name or that that name um, indicates? Do we, uh, can we say that the things that a Christian is and does and thinks they're all indicative of us. They describe us. They are us. If not, then we should not do that. In our society, we call a lot of people man, woman, True. Well, it's true. Words are often just that. Words are, are thrown about. Uh, and that's the nature of, of language. It, it absolutely is. Um, I was thinking of the word love. We, we use the word love to mean so many different things. When in fact, if we follow the scripture, it's actually reserved for a very select and powerful relationship and emotion. Now what... And each of those means something very distinctive, very specific. Okay, along with the name, let's think about before we move on to something way deeper. If y'all think this is deep, this is nothing. Uh, Romans 16, 16, very simple verse. In fact, we often don't read the latter part of, well, I say we don't. Sometimes we just fly through the end of, a, of an epistle 
Ooh, that made me think. I want to learn learn something really cool before we read before he reads Romans sixteen sixteen. I am uh, just beginning an introductory uh, discussion and notes with my senior English class on the novel Frankenstein. And the novel Frankenstein, uh, um, Mary Shelley utilizes the epistolary style of writing. That's a big word. Uh, did you know that the Holy Spirit, God, uses, utilize the epistolary style because it means the use of letters to convey important information to f make the plot fit together. Shelley does that. Well, so does God, because he gave us the narrative uh, account of Jesus's life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He gave us a historical account of the church. And then he used a series of letters to give us things we needed to know. You know, so I just thought y'all want to impress, you know, when y'all go sit around with people, you said, did you know that uh, the Bible incorporates the epistolary style of literature in that would say how impressive that'll be uh, because he uses letters and he does um, which is always funny to me is that we have all these terms that we have can, we call them things and how cool they are when God uses them Dale Bob do not talk about me okay uh, is that you know we think we're so smart when in fact God is the one who designed language and he's the master of it to begin with. Just like, um, um, talk about, everybody in here knows what a metaphor is yet, right? <clears throat> Comparing two things without like or as, I hate that definition, but um, Jesus used one. When those messengers came from Herod and uh, uh, to give a message, Jesus told everybody in the whole room not to trust Herod. And he said, you go tell that fox. And I asked them, I said, well, why did he do that? Well, because he was sneaky. Oh, bingo, you got it. Okay, so you know how the metaphor works. See, God is the master. I just love the Bible. Okay, Romans 16, 16. Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Okay, the churches of Christ. Now, disclaimer, I'm about to say something that you don't have to agree with. Okay, it's just me thinking out loud. Okay, you don't have to agree with it, and I'm not criticizing anybody anywhere ever, I promise. But the churches of Christ salute you. When he says that, he literally means the, the ecclesia, the called out, the group, the groupings of Christ. What do you mean the groupings of Christ? Those who have been added to the church. The groupings of them around send you greeting. Okay. Not separate churches, but plural, the, the groupings of the one church gathered around of Christ. Why do I know it belongs to Christ? It worries me that we unintentionally, because remember, this is not a criticism at all, that if we're not careful, just like the word Christian, we unintentionally allow What's the best way to put this? Unintentionally dilute our distinctiveness because if it were left up to me, I would never call this the Boonville Church of Christ. I would call this the Church of Christ that meets in Boonville. And you say, well, what's the difference? There's not any. 
except we, I, I don't, we have to be careful not to get, you know, to, to confuse other people. Does it matter? No, no, not making a, uh, but if we're not careful, we make ourselves sound like another, a, a separate body that is equal to the other religious bodies when in fact we're not. Now, at the end of the day, how you say it isn't going to change people's minds. It's the truth you speak and the, um, the, li the distinctive uh, life that you live is what's going to make the difference. That's just me thinking out loud. So, you know, don't go and say, hey, honey, we've got to change our bulletin. No, I didn't say that, okay, uh, at all. Um, for the longest time, I wouldn't capitalize the C in uh, Church of Christ on my checks because it bothered me. That's neither here nor there. The point I'm making here is, is that when Paul said the churches of Christ salute you, he said all of the, the bodies that belong, all of the, the uh, um, gatherings of God's people, they all belong to Christ. Now, the truth is, how would you know the churches of Christ salute you? So uh, if I went from here to there, in fact, who's traveled more than a, mm, who's traveled more than a thousand miles before? Okay, yeah. Uh, you know that some congregations wouldn't be anybody to raise their hand. Uh, but what? You're not in a day who's actually traveled outside of this and gone somewhere else, way off. Anybody? All right, let me see. Hands down now. While you were there, how many of you actually went to a worship service that the word Church of Christ was on the building somewhere? Okay. How'd you know? Well, it's because of the sign. Is that how you knew? Because of the sign? Anybody ever gone into a building that had that sign and said, uh, Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Uh, uh, have you? Okay, so how did, wait a minute. How did you know, wait, 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 wait. How did you know to say, uh-oh? How did you know that you were there with God's people? How'd you know? Well, but okay, how? Wait, distinctive Activities, distinctive. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Very simple verse. 13 through 16. Uh, so you're telling, from what I'm hearing from you, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, by the way. I hope I didn't. Um, is that you're telling me then that you can tell the difference by listening. You can tell the difference by observing. You can tell the difference by conversing. That there is a distinctive nature about the worship patterns and behaviors of those who are disciples of Christ, about what they call themselves, how they behave themselves. Is that what you're telling me? Okay, Matthew chapter uh, 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. 
You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men put a light, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light shine let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Okay, the second installment of this discussion builds right off of what y'all were saying a minute ago is that the church that Jesus built, the New Testament church, God's people, Christians, have a distinctive identity in the characteristics they demonstrate, the lives that they live. And we, we won't even have time to get into the worship aspect, but in the characteristics that they demonstrate the lives that they live, Matthew 13, Jesus said, first of all, you are, he's talking to his people. You are the salt of the earth. Okay, we could talk about a whole sermon on the various things that salt does. But the bottom line is salt has an impact on its surroundings every time. If it's active, if it's not, if it's not, if it's what it's supposed to be, if it's not bad. If you don't believe it, go home and pour. There's no little ones in here, right? Uh, because I don't really want you to go do this. Uh, go home and pour a teaspoonful of salt and then pour it in your eyes. What are you acting that way for? Uh, will you know immediately that you've done it? Yes. Okay. Why? Because salt impacts its surroundings every time. It does that. Uh, um, I knew of a fella who, y'all know what... Um, What's the salt you put on ice cream? Um, well, rock salt. Rock salt. Thank you. Did y'all hear JT? I said, what kind of salt do you put on ice cream? JT said, ice cream salt. Okay. Uh, 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 yes, but before the modern times when they started labeling it that way, uh, yes, you can use uh, table salt, but the rock salt. If you pour 50 pounds of rock salt on the prettiest yard in the neighborhood, It's not going to be the prettiest yard in the neighborhood. Why? Because the salt impacts its surroundings. So if Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, that means he said, he is saying to the church, to every single one of us, you must have, by, by your nature, you should automatically have an impact for Christ on your surroundings. By our nature. You know, not, you know, not when I say not deliberately in that, okay, I must now make a conscious effort to have a positive impact on. Now, it's good to do those things, but by virtue of who you are from the inside out, you have an impact. Because you're the salt of the earth. And he said, if the salt has lost its flavorability, its savor, if the salt no longer has its potency, then it's no good. It won't uh, cure that meat. It won't uh, flavor that food. It won't do what it's supposed to do because it no longer has that. Okay. A, a powerful sermon is in Revelation 3 about the lukewarm Christian. Even more powerful than that is salt that no longer salts. Salt that no longer has any ability to do what it's supposed to do. It's no good. So what happens when we, 
when we lose our distinctive nature as Christians and the church begins to lose its distinctive nature as a whole, we stop having an impact. You know, it makes me think of two guys. I know this is a preacher story. I'm quite certain it never actually happened, but uh, I've heard it too many times. But two guys in a very large corporation, large company, uh, was bought by an individual who was atheist and very, very opposed to the Lord's church. And came through one day and made a sweep and two guys worked the same machine together. Both attended the same congregation of the Lord's people. And uh, Jeremy, the guy, the, the, the boss swept in and uh, called one guy by name, said, Joe, I hear you are a member down at the uh, Church of Christ. He said, yes, sir, you're fired. Off he went. And then soon another guy took over Joe's spot and he told the other fellow, I thought you went to the same church where Joe went. He said, I do, but nobody knows it. So catch that. He said, I do, but nobody knows. If nobody knows, there's a problem. If nobody knows, there's a problem because we uh, now look at verse 14. Uh, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Okay, I'm thinking of, now I hope the power doesn't go out in this high winds, but it might. Uh, but do you take this building, for example, or you take a large hospital setting up on a hill or a big house, in fact, and you know where it's at. You know, ever read that it says, okay, city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And we think it can't be hidden because you see those lights up there. But you know what? If all the lights go up in, out in that house, you still know it's there. You still see it up there, this big, dark structure. And what's the first thing you wonder? When you, what? Is there anyone living there? Uh, what's going on up there? Because there are no lights. I think we fail to look at that side of that verse. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city set up on a hill cannot be hidden. When your light is shining, when the church is giving off the light of Christ, the world sees it. But when we don't give off the, life of the light of Christ, the world also sees that. It sees that emptiness, that dark structure that ought to be shining. Um, like that fellow who was a Christian, but nobody knew it. Uh, you're the light of the world. Then he said, uh, no one puts a, a, a candle and puts it under a bushel. No one puts a light and puts it under, but on a candlestick or on a lamp stand. In other words, the whole purpose of a light is to light a room. Okay. You don't uh, uh, buy a lamp and then put it under something, do you? No, you put it where somebody can see it. That's the whole point. What was that? Oh, the projector. Don't do that. Uh, uh, um, sorry. Are you laughing at me? Uh, okay. Made me lose my train of thought. Okay. Um, but then he said, you let your light shine. Notice the progression. You're the salt. Have influence. And he said, you're the light. If you're the light, you're supposed to be, number one, shining. And number two, in a position where you can be seen. 
Now, okay, if we have the light of Christ in us, we're delivered us into the kingdom of his dear son, uh, the kingdom of, uh, into his marvelous light. If we have the light of Christ in us, that automatically is illuminated from us. That means we are supposed to be in a position where the world sees that. Okay, how does that happen? By giving away food, doing good to other people, by going out into mission fields and talking to people, by giving out, by, by doing things that are Christ-like, by responding to the sin of the world, by, by obviously f refusing to partake on, uh, of things that, that d cause us to not be distinctive. On and on and on and on and on we go. That light is not, sometimes I'm afraid people say, yes, I'm a Christian. I have the light of Christ. Where is it? Well, it's in here. And I'll show it to you when I come and worship. But it is automatically seen or supposed to be automatically seen by the lives that we live. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. The light that's shining and the things you're doing are synonymous. They're together. The light is shining through the things you're doing. The things you're doing are shining the light. Does that make sense? And they will glorify God in heaven because they see, that's because they see the access to God through you. They see God through you. Um, and I think we have time maybe for one more. Let's go to 1 Peter 3, 15 through 17. No, let's go to Colossians 4, 6. Let's go to Colossians 4, 6. If I have to pick one, I want to pick that one. Colossians 4 and verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with with salt. There's that salt reference again. Do you think that salt has the idea of, well, when I season something with salt, why do I do that? To preserve it? Why do I season food with salt? Not just to preserve it, but to, yeah, to make it taste, present, make it presentable, tasteable. Okay. So how does that apply here? Okay. Would you agree with this, that the Lord's church, God's people have a distinctive identity in how they talk and how they talk. Let the things that come out of your mouth be always with grace. Whose grace? God's grace. God's grace filters everything you say. And your relationship with Christ causes you to season your words so that they help, not hinder. They heal, not hurt. Even the words that are unpleasant, even the words that have to be said. You know, it's interesting that I'm saying what I'm saying, God is so in, God has an interesting way of working with people because I have a very unpleasant conversation that is I'm going to have to be a part of very soon. And uh, I've been 
praying about the best way to go about it. And here he is preaching to me. Uh, let the things that you say be said in a way that they are the right answer to someone. God's answer through you. Um, if you had to name your number one uh, nemesis, uh, your number one problem, I'm in, uh, uh, I guess I'm special because I can name my number one and my number two. Uh, my number one is the sin of worry. And I know that and I struggle with that. Number two is my mouth. Uh, uh, my mouth has a tendency to uh, write checks that I can't cash. Or it, it used to. Uh, uh, and it still does. But, uh, and there's some of you who've worked with me that know that my mouth can sometimes get me in trouble. Please don't amen. Uh, but I, God is continuing to work on me and I've learned to keep it shut. Now I've got to pray a little extra so I don't open it tomorrow. Uh, but I understand this verse is in there because he says, you must be distinctive in how you react to people, in how you, uh, when that person cuts you off. Listen, I want to tell you something. When that person runs across you at the four-way stop, that you, were, you had the first and you went forward and almost ran into them because you had the right of way and they came on. And instead of saying, oh, I'm sorry, they gave you only one finger. And it wasn't the nice one, okay? Um, and oh, I want to, you know, and many times I've heard my sweet wife say, look at me, even before I reacted, said, don't roll that window down. <laughs> don't do it. Uh, because we must be distinctive in how we react and how we talk. And it is time to stop. Uh, pray with me. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of studying your truth. Thank you for allowing us to be together. I pray that you'll bring Brother Ken home safely and that uh, he'll be able to conclude this wonderful study with us next week. Help us always to be the people we're supposed to be. In Jesus' name, amen.